does it say that this is not something that politicians say anymore? I mean, when Barack Obama won the Nobel Peace Prize in uh, 2008, he said, we better get used to the idea that war is always going to be with us. But your uncle had a different vision. He said, we, we can't think that way. It's self-defeating to think that peace is impossible. So how do you plan to go against these trends of recent decades, and it's it's many decades now, where peace is not even on the table. How do you plan to to make this happen? Um, when my, you know, my uncle took office in January of 1961, and, and I was at his inauguration um, three days before he took office on January 17th. President I, the outgoing president, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, gave a speech that is probably one of the most, today, in retrospect, one of the most important speeches in American history, where he warned Americans against the uh, the emergence of a military-industrial complex that would devour our democracy, that would turn us into a an imperial state abroad and a, uh, and a surveillance state at home. And that it would corrode our democratic institutions. And my uncle, two months after he came into office in March of 1961, he had been meeting for two months with his Joint Chiefs of Staff and his uh, and his CIA advisors, including Alan Dulles, uh, Charles Cabal, and uh, and Richard Bissell, who were trying to get him to support the Bay of Pigs invasion by, you know, uh, 2,000 uh, Cuban uh, refugees who had armed themselves and trained, were trained by the CIA in Guatemala and Texas and Louisiana and camps in Florida. And they wanted to return to their homeland and, and depose Fidel Castro. And my uncle said he did not want to have the U.S. military support that because uh, it was an independent country and it would be inconsistent with American values to begin a preemptive war against somebody who had not done anything to the United States uh, that was warlike, that should provoke a war. And that we, no matter how much distaste we had for Castro's choices in governing his country, that was up to those decisions were up to Cuba and the Cuban people, and were not, uh, you know, that were not the province of the United States. And he refused to give the U.S. military support. They ended up they wanted uh, amphibious vehicles and transportation uh, ships from the U.S. military to to bring the uh, the Cuban brigade to the Bay of Pigs. And um, and instead, they went to the to the corporations. They went to United Fruit, and the CIA got the United Fruit Company to transport, which of course had huge interest in the sugar plantations in Cuba, to transport the ships. But my uncle was skeptical. He was reluctant to give any U.S. support. And Dulles and and Louis Lemonser and. Uh, and the, you know, Cabell and Richard Bissell said, we, we've armed these people, we can't, there's nothing else we can do with them. They'd actually be dangerous if we kept them in the United States. And he said, you know, my uncle's attitude was um, the French had supported us during the U.S. Revolution. 
and that we could give support to revolutionary groups in other countries, but we couldn't fight the war for them. And we shouldn't do anything that was that looked like a U.S. invasion. Uh, but during, And they lied to him, and they said that as soon as those as the Bay of Pigs Brigade landed, the Cuban people, that Castro was so unpopular, the Cuban people were going to rise up and throw him out of office. They just needed a spark to light this, uh, this nascent revolution. And they knew at the time that was a lie. And they knew that Castro was actually immensely popular in Cuba at that time. And, that, uh, and my father later found this out because he sent two aides down who spent a weekends over a year negotiating with Castro over the release of the Bay of Pigs prisoners, and they ended up going to baseball games with him and traveling around the country. And they they told me, John Nolan, and um, John Nolan, who's one of those two, told me that when they walked into a stadium and the people saw Castro, they would spontaneously rise and give him a prolonged standing ovation, and that it was clearly not orchestrated. It was people were fervent in that belief, but also he had a very well-organized military, and he had an intelligence service that was, you know, as good as any in the world. And, and, uh, and so Dulles and the other CIA uh, doyens uh, knew they were lying to my uncle, and what they believed is that if they if they landed these the brigade on the shore, and it it was clear that they were about to be defeated, then my uncle would send in the Essex, which was the U.S. aircraft carrier, and give them air cover, and then the U.S. would be committed to getting rid of Castro. And my uncle later said this. They, he said they they believed that a young president would collapse and send in the Essex and the military, and they misjudged me. He, during the height of that uh, that fight, when it was clear that the Cuban refugees, the brigade was losing disastrously, he came out of his office and he said to one of his aides, I want to take the CIA, shatter it into a thousand pieces and scatter it to the winds. And he understood from that moment on, my, my grandfather, he, he looked at that as a catastrophe for his administration. And, and in fact, he said to his father, you know, I think I should resign. And his father said, it's the best thing that could happen to you because you, my, my grandfather, Joseph Kennedy, who uh, was very skeptical of the military his entire life, he said, it's good that you learned who these guys were at the outset. And now you know. And my uncle... My uncle, you know, had fought in the war, World War II. He was a war hero, and he understood the um, the, the brutality and the savagery of war. And he, he said to his best friend, one of his best friends, Ben Bradley, who was the publisher of the Washington Post, that the primary job of a president was to keep the country out of war. And when Bradley asked him, he said that because Bradley had asked him, what do you want on your gravestone? And my uncle said to him, he kept the peace. That's what he wanted his legacy to be. And, you know, he succeeded in, despite tremendous pressure from his military advisors, from his intelligence apparatus, he succeeded in keeping the country out of war. He sent, he did send, he was, he was pressured to send 250,000 combat troops to Vietnam. He refused steadfastly, despite, you know, Maxwell Taylor and Avril Harriman and, and, uh, and all of his senior advisors, Dulles, et cetera. 
um, from um, who said you got to send it in them in. You got to send two hundred fifty thousand troops, or the uh, South Vietnamese government is going to collapse. He refused to do it. He ultimately sent sixteen thousand military advisors, mainly Green Berets, who were forbidden under the rules of engagement from engaging in combat. Now, a lot of them did engage in combat, but two weeks before he died, he, and incidentally, 16,000 troops is fewer troops than he sent to get one black man, James Meredith, into Ole Miss, into the University of Mississippi. Um, he sent more troops there, federal troops there, than he did to Vietnam. And two weeks before he died, he, or, he signed a national security order ordering all those troops home. Um, he had he had he had asked his aide that morning how many Americans had been killed in Vietnam, and his aide said seventy five, and he showed him the list of names. And my uncle said, "That's too much. Uh, I want them all home." And uh, he signed an order that that ordered them all home by the end of nineteen sixty five with the first thousand coming home the following month in November. So this is by December. Um, so, uh, and then of course he was killed on November 22nd. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. Empire.